You are listening to the Sex and Psychology Podcast, the sex ed you never got in school and won't get anywhere else. I am your host, Dr. Justin Lay Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. As we discussed in the previous episode, more adults today are living single than ever before, and this is happening all around the world. Some of the folks living single would rather be living with someone. They just haven't found a partner or partners yet. But many of them are living alone by choice. They just don't want to live with anyone else. This doesn't necessarily mean that they do not want or do not have sex or relationships. Rather, they just want to lead an unconventional life on their own terms, free of the constraints of relationship labels and expectations, and where they can retain their autonomy and enjoy solitude when they want it. These folks are part of a growing movement and identity called solos. In today's show, we're going to explore the world of solos. We're going to talk about the difference between being solo and being single, what the solo mindset looks like, how solos build custom relationships, as well as tips for being solo and flourishing. I am joined once again by Peter McGraw, a business school professor at the University of Colorado Boulder. He hosts the podcast called Solo, The Single Person's Guide to a Remarkable Life. He also writes for Single Insights, The Science of Solos, and hosts The Solo Salon. In 2014, Peter co-authored a book called The Humor Code. His latest book is titled Solo. This is going to be a fascinating conversation. Stick around and we're going to jump in right after the break. It's a new year, and I'm excited to announce a new edition of my textbook, The Psychology of Human Sexuality. This is the third edition of the book, and it's the biggest and best version yet. The Psychology of Human Sexuality is a comprehensive guide to the major theories and perspectives on sexuality and the vast diversity in sexual attitudes and behaviors that exist around the world. It's written from a sex-positive, biopsychosocial perspective, and it offers broad coverage of the latest research on a variety of topics, from sexual orientation to sexual difficulties and solutions, to sex work and pornography, to attraction and intimate relationships. It's a go-to guide for the science of sex written for college students, but also approachable for anyone who simply wants to expand their sexual knowledge. Check the show notes for links on where to purchase The Psychology of Human Sexuality or find it at major book retailers. Enjoy. If you love the science of sex as much as I do, consider becoming a friend of the Kinsey Institute at Indiana University. The Kinsey Institute is the world's premier research organization on sex and relationships, and you can help them continue the legacy of Dr. Alfred Kinsey, whose pioneering research changed everything we think we know about sex. Visit kinseyinstitute.org to make an impact. Your donations can help support ongoing research projects on critical topics. You can also show your support by following Kinsey Institute on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for supporting Sex Science. Okay, Peter, let's talk about going solo. So to get us started, I always like to begin with a definitional question to help get all of us on the same page. And I think when people hear the term solo, they're going to conflate it with the term single. And single is a term that's probably going to bring a very specific picture to mind for many folks, and one that's probably not quite like what you're going to be talking about here. So when you use the term solo, how are you defining that? And how is being solo different from being single? Yeah, certainly. So I appreciate you starting with this question because I think for most people, they just think of solo as a more positive term for being single. 
But what I've developed, and actually I thank one of the members of the solo community uh, for pushing me on this because I had a very vague, hazy definition. Now, I, I wasn't doing academic work on this, so I didn't have reviewer C giving me a hard time about it. But to me, soloness or going solo is about identity, not about relationship status. And it has three attributes, right? And so someone could be fully solo or could they be, they could be on their way, so to speak. Uh, the first one is the most important one. And that is that solos are wholehearted. They see themselves as a complete person, not half of a whole. That's an incredibly important milestone to reach in your life where you're not walking around feeling incomplete, looking for the one, someone to complete you, even to use biblical terms where two become one, right? The second one is that solos tend to be self-reliant. They tend to be autonomous. That is, at least they seek autonomy. They want to be a good parent to themselves. They don't view a partner as someone who's going to come along and solve their problems. They seek to solve their own problems in that way. Again, I think a very liberating notion, right? Because both being wholehearted and being self-reliant allows you to choose a partnership it allows you to choose a partnership, especially that adds value to your life, rather than having to have a partner to fix these problems, to fix your identity, or to fix the fact that you're bored, the fact that you you can't pay your bills, uh, you have no social life, whatever those things might be. And then the last one, I think, is kind of the sort of most exciting one, because I think it opens up the most possibilities beyond just dating. And that is the solos tend to be unconventional thinkers. They tend to view relationships unconventionally just by viewing them as something that you choose rather than default into. But what happens is once you start questioning the assumptions and the rules associated with the relationship escalator, as we like to call it, it starts to open up the possibilities to question the rules more generally. For example, this goes back to our previous conversation, wondering, is the American dream the right dream for me, right? Might there be another way that I want to live? Questioning the rules more generally. I mean, I think that's an exciting proposition, you know, for both relationships and for your career, for your personal life, for your lifestyle, for your values, and so on. Now, what's very interesting about this idea is that because singlehood or relationship status is independent of soloness, so you can be a non-solo single, you can also be a solo spouse. That is, you can be in a partnership and still hold on to those ideals, see yourself as a complete person, not rely on your partner to solve all your problems and to approach that relationship and perhaps other relationships and other elements of life more generally in an unconventional way. So just so we're clear, when you're saying the term single, you're talking about just a relationship state or status, you know, that is the state of being unattached to anyone romantically, whereas solo is an identity, it's a lifestyle, it's a set of values, it's a headspace, right? So these are, these are different things and they can overlap, but you can be one or the other, right? Yes, you can move in and out of relationships and your solo status doesn't change, even though your relationship status does. And I think that this is actually very important in part because of this. Knowing whether someone is single or married tells you almost nothing about them. 
it used to be useful because it, it suggested that if you were single, you were on a particular trajectory. And if you were married, you had reached that end state. We just live in a world where that's not necessarily the case anymore. Absolutely. Now, I have a question. You know, when you were talking about this, how solos have these certain traits or characteristics, like there's this whole solo mindset. So who is solo for or who are the solos? Because I'm sure that some people <laughs> listening to your description might think that maybe this could be explained by individual differences. Maybe we're just talking about differences in attachment style or personality here or something. So I guess my question is, can anyone be solo or are certain people more predisposed to having those traits or characteristics that would allow them to identify as such and live that life? So I think certainly people's life experiences contribute to this, right? One of the best ways for someone to go solo is to have tried, <laughs> you know, non-solo life and it doesn't quite fit for them. I don't know of any strong predictors of this. One that I do believe is, is the case is um, one element of the big five. And I, I'm sure you talk about the big five yep. in your book and in and podcast. But one of the, the elements of the big five is called openness to new experiences. That openness to new experiences, I think, certainly relates to this unconventional thinking, you know, more generally, but also allows for you to realize that the normal script of being less than, being incomplete, doesn't actually match up with any other element of your life. You know, I mean, one of the, I think the, the biggest things, my transformation from single to solo came in three stages. The autonomy stage started at age 13 when I got a job because I was, you know, the son of a single mother and I had to buy my own clothes for school. And so very early on, I learned to be self-reliant. I put myself through school and learned to be frugal and to manage financial and housing insecurity, and then set myself up for a good life as a professor, thankfully. My second stage, which was the wholeheartedness, um, happened when I was 38 and I was dealing with the heartbreak, like just overwhelming grief around a, a lost relationship. Oh, and especially um, because I did not want to have children and the woman that I was in love with did, and we could not find a tractable solution to that. We broke up. And I remember sitting or standing actually in my bedroom and had this moment of insight. It's going to sound banal to your listeners, but the insight was, I'm happy when I'm single. You know, it's like, sure, I have problems. We all have problems. But none of the problems that I was facing in life were going to be solved by a romantic partner. And so I just realized that my life wasn't less than. And then the last uh, stage was through the solo project. It just opened up all these other possibilities. And I started to understand the scripts that people follow and the scripts that I had followed. I thought there was something wrong with me because I didn't want this thing. And then I realized, no, it's nothing wrong with me. It's just there's something wrong with this thing. And so that sort of openness, I think, helps with it. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And I think you're so right that a big part of this is going to be what your accumulated life experiences are. And oftentimes we don't know what we want or what the right path is for us until we try some different things, you know? And you do say this in your book that it's a matter of you're going to need to try and try again to figure out the formula that works. And the same is true as 
I've done episodes on consensual non-monogamy, you know, figuring out how to navigate an open relationship or something like that, figuring out even how to navigate a monogamous relationship, like all of these things take some trial and error. Yes, absolutely. I don't have the data on this. My hunch, though, is the people who tune in to being solo, sometimes they don't have the positive role models. So in our previous episode, I talked about how singles beget singles, right? Happy singles beget happy singles. But when I was a child, when I was 15 or 16 years old, I was already putting off marriage. Like I was like, I won't get married till after I'm 30. And this was at a time where people were getting married at age 25 and people were parents at age 30. And why? When I looked at my parents, they were not happy people. Their relationship and their divorce was one of the most tragic things that happened to them. And so I didn't have role models with regard to this. And so if you grow up in a very happy, leave it to beaver style family, you A, learn skills how to do this, you have role models, you have support. And so it becomes easier to just default into this. And yet, you know, we still live in a world of 33% divorce rates, you know, and high rates of infidelity, that even though this thing can be very good for a lot of people, it doesn't mean it's easy to do. And uh, to your point, right, whether you're trying to be monogamous or you're trying to be consensually non-monogamous, Both lawns are hard to cut. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. All all lawns are hard to cut when it comes to our relationships. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. It's that old push mower that's not sharp. The blades aren't as sharp as they need to be. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So in your book, you talk about how there are several different types or ways of being solo. You talk about the just maze, the no ways, and the new ways. And I think these terms help to show how you know, there's a pretty big tent that we're talking about here. And being solo isn't just one thing. Yes, they all share in common that mindset that you talked about. But walk us through some of the different ways of being solo when it comes to approaching relationships with others. Yeah, well, for, let's um, start with the contrast, right? So it's like four types of singles, three types of solos. So there are the someday singles, We've talked about them already, right? These are the people who feel incomplete. They're hopeless romantics. They're searching for the one where life will then be good. You know, so this is like Charlotte on Sex in the City, you know, like dates with intention. If a man doesn't have uh, the goods, he's not going to be a good long-term partner. She kicks him to the curb kind of thing. The remaining three are solos. So there are the just mates and they actually share the same goal as the some days, they would like to find a traditional relationship, what I often refer to as the relationship escalator. So Amy Guerin, in her book, Stepping Off the Relationship Escalator, puts forth this model, a model we all know. Even when I say the relationship escalator, people sort of know what it is, right? There's these stages, and then there are these rules. And people, whether they choose them or they just blindly adhere to them, the just mays want this. But the nice thing about the just maze is because they already feel complete, because they have this self-reliance, and because they're unconventional thinkers, they recognize that this is an option. It doesn't have to happen. And so they approach their dating life differently. They're not always just, just like that interview style. You know, I'm sure listeners have gone through this where they've been interviewed on a first date. They're not putting off their life until they meet their person. Maybe they take that solo trip to Paris to see the Eiffel Tower because they're not waiting around for someone 
to do that with, or they close on a condo that they've always wanted and so on. And so while they may be on the same trajectory as the some days, they feel very differently about it and they have greater opportunities as a result of it. The next group is the no ways. And this is a shockingly big group. Like I actually had trouble with the data when I saw it. So I thank Pew Research Center time and time again because they're, they're right on top of these trends in a way that a lot of other folks aren't. And they've done several surveys and they consistently find the same thing. And that is when they survey single adults in the United States, they find that 50% of them are currently not seeking a relationship or casual dates at the moment. It's a huge number. So I'll say that again. 50% of singles, which make up 50% of the U.S. adult population, are not looking for a relationship. Some for now and some forever. And we are paying no attention to these people. We're not writing love songs for them. We're, <laughs> we're not making sitcoms for them, right? Like it's not part of the public discourse. And so if you're in no way, you might think there's something wrong with you because everybody's talking about swiping on the dating apps and, and so on. But really, you are just as normal as the people looking for something. The other shocking thing about those data is this. Only 14% of single adults are looking for a committed relationship only. So again, all those people shouting on the dating apps, looking for my life partner, wanting the one, ENM, swipe left, all these things. It feels like everybody's looking for this thing that's very traditional, but 10% are looking for casual dates only, and 28% or 26%, excuse me, are looking for either casual dates or romance. They could go either way. They'd be happy with the friends with benefits, or they'd be happy finding their life partner. And so that is a segue into this third group. And this is a group that probably listens to you a lot, Justin, <laughs> right? I, I say they're the sexiest group. And they seem to be growing rather fast. These are the new way singles or those new way solos rather. And these are people who want connection in their life. They want intimacy and or romance. But what they're doing is they're relaxing or removing the rules of the relationship escalator. So for example, maybe they don't want to merge their lives. I've never wanted to live with a partner. I've had relationships end because my girlfriend wants to move in. And despite how much I loved her, I did not want to give up my solitude. So people are living apart together, for example, or they are changing the rules of status. They don't want their partnership to be the most important adult to adult relationship in their life. Maybe they actually want a platonic partner to be their most important relationship in their life. And then the 800 pound gorilla of rules is monogamy right? That they question whether their relationship needs to be romantically and or sexually exclusive, right? So they may be consensually non-monogamous, polyamorous, monogamish, and so on and so forth. And so having a solo orientation really helps the new ways navigate this new world. Yeah. So there are a lot of different ways to be solo. And then with within each of those subcategories of being solo, 
their relationships might look very different. You know, they could be monogamous or polyamorous. They could have casual or committed relationships. They could have a platonic life partner, as you mentioned, or a friend with benefits. You can also be of any sexual orientation. Some of these folks might be asexual. So, you know, it can look like anything that you want it to look like and whatever works for you. Yes. Now, I think that's difficult to do because, so the nice thing about the escalator is the rules are very clear. You never have to discuss them. And so you can just follow them. The thing that's difficult about it is that the rules may not fit what you want, you know? And so there are a lot of people who live with their partner that would really be much happier having separate bedrooms or having separate residences or would like the occasional dalliance, you know, with proper testing and protection and so on, you know, just to spice things up a little bit. The tough thing is how do you go about finding like-minded people? And then how do you go about having these conversations in which you can ask for what you want? Because for some people, this is a moral issue. The escalator is not just right, it's righteous. And so you risk offending people, you risk friction and so on. And so some people go along because an imperfect relationship is better than none. And my advice is, and I I say I'm 20% no way an 80% new way. And just to use my own personal experience, when I embraced my new way attitudes, I was prepared to be celibate, right? I was prepared that no one was going to want to have sex with me and no one was going to go want to go out with me. I've actually had a positive experience that there's something refreshing about someone being unapologetic about what he or she wants, asking for what they want, knowing what doesn't work, And being able to communicate that. And you'd be surprised. You find your tribe. You find people who are like-minded in the world. I mean, let's be honest. Dating apps help, right? In a world that gives you reach with a dating app. Yes, they absolutely do. So let me ask for a couple of tips on how to be solo and how to live a remarkable life. You know, how to flourish. So what are some of the key things in terms of being solo and flourishing? Okay. So I think that we as behavioral scientists often do a disservice to regular everyday people because what we want to do is present one way of doing things, right? And so if you think about it, like this is a problem with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that there's this one path to being self-actualized in a sense. And while Maslow, I give him his flowers, he, he did great work and he identified, I think, some very important elements, this notion of taking care of your basic needs and then building upon them is correct. But the idea that there's this one path, regardless of your culture, regardless of your age and so on, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't match up with the data. And so I think that there are some universals and then there's some specifics. In the book, I present what I call the foundation flourish model. And it's not a model just for singles. It's a model for everyone. But I think it's a good way to reflect on your life. And so the idea is that, and I I love this metaphor by Scott Barry Kaufman in his book, Transcend, where he he talks about, he uses a a sailboat metaphor. I um, borrow this and I say, like, your foundation is like the hull. It's the thing that keeps you afloat you know, especially in turbulent waters. And that is, are you taking good care of your health, right? Are you eating well? Are you sleeping well? Are you, are you moving your body? Are you taking care of your wealth, 
right? Are you staying out of debt? Are you pursuing a career that's going to provide you income that you can live comfortably, not get rich, but live comfortably on in that way? Are you taking care of your spending so that you are not locked in and not stuck in a job that you don't want to be in and so on? And then are you taking care of your community? And I want to pause on this one for a second, Justin, because I think this is essential. That is, solitude is great. Like there's, you know, benefits for reflection, recovery, creativity. We need solitude. Some people need more of it. Some people need less of it. But everybody needs a little bit of solitude. But we also need to be connected. So going back to our previous conversation, you know, the Swedes are nice. They're good about this. They have their solitude, but they have their connections. But what we should do is redefine what it means to be connected socially. That is that, yes, it could be with a romantic partner, but it doesn't need to be, right? It can be with other family members. It can be with close friends. It can be with members of the community. And one thing that singles are very good at is they're actually on average, better at being connected than married people. They are more involved in their community. They have more friends and so on. And so I spend a lot of time in the book talking about how do you create friendships, right? How do you nurture friendships? There's all these dating advice columns and stuff. When have you ever seen a friendship advice column, right? How to make friends, how to keep friends, how to repair damaged friendships, and so on. This is an essential skill that needs to be developed, especially if you're going to not rely on a life partner for all of your social connection, which, by the way, is risky in a world of 33% divorce rates and death and disability. And so the idea is once you have the foundation, this sturdy hull, now you can work on, to use Scott's metaphor, the sale, which is the flourishing element of the model. And in this way, this is not universal. You know, the idea of having good health, good wealth, and good connection is pretty universal. But the way that you flourish depends on you, depends on your values, depends on your aptitude, depends on where you are in life. And so you can flourish through creative tasks, through engagement, right? The artists of the world, the entrepreneurs, you know, the scientists, people who are solving problems. You can flourish through purpose, through living a meaningful life, helping other people, challenging yourself with big hairy, audacious goals to try to make the world or your community a, a better place, or through purpose that is achievement, doing something for yourself that's really challenging, you know, winning Olympic medals, running a marathon, building a business, getting your degree. And then the last one, which is often overlooked, and I think in American culture, sometimes a little poo-pooed, is can you flourish just by experiencing a positive world? You know, enjoying your life, having fun, laughing hard, having great sex. This is something that is important. Now, these aren't mutually exclusive, but it's very difficult to pursue a life that's engaging, achievement-oriented, meaningful, and positive emotion, right? You can't do them all at once. You have to make some trade-offs among them. But I think that all of them can be, or some combination of them can be a path to a remarkable life. I mean, couldn't we just ask chat GPT for how to balance all that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the real challenge, of course, is like, I'm living my most meaningful life with the solo movement. I've had to make sacrifices to, in order to do it. Now, I would say this, if I had a wife and kids, zero chance this book gets written. 
because I had to dedicate four months of my life to near constant work in order to do it with a very ambitious deadline. And so, yeah, I made, I made a few sacrifices. I lived a little bit less of a pleasurable life. I didn't see my friends quite as much, but because they're friends, they understood, you know, and if I was following the rules of the escalator, that'd be very hard to tell a life partner. I'll see you in four months. Love you. (laughs) See you in four months. Yeah, that wouldn't really fly in my relationship. So, <laughs> <laughs> but but again, there, by the way, there's nothing wrong with those trade-offs. Yeah. It's just important to know that you have to make those trade-offs at times. Absolutely, and that's what relationships and life is all about. It's the trade-offs that create the optimum happiness for you. So, yes, it's easier said than done, but something that's worth chewing on. So thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Peter. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work and to get a copy of your new book? Sure. Uh, The book's available wherever there are books available, thankfully. Maybe not airport bookstores. I'm not sure about that. (laughs) But, you know, it's on Amazon and and so on. Um, I think if you want to learn more about the movement, you can go to petermcgraw.org slash solo. And you can actually sign up for the solo community. I've got a community of of diverse but like-minded people with very open minds and open hearts uh, who are celebrating the opportunities of, of going solo. Well, thanks again for your time, and I'll be sure to include links to all of that in the show notes. Thank you for listening. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology, at sexandpsychology.com, or subscribe on your favorite platform, where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on the socials for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter and TikTok at Justin Lee Miller and Instagram at Justin J. Lee Miller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. And if you have a question you'd like me to answer on a future episode of this show, you can leave me a podcast voicemail at speakpipe.com slash sex and psychology. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Hold up. 